Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom from Jerusalem. This is Watchman Talk, a series of conversations with Israeli experts and practitioners in the national security, diplomatic, and intelligence domains. And our special guest today is Ambassador Ron Prosor. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am Amir Oren, and Ambassador Prosor is not only the former ambassador to the court of St. James and the permanent representative to the United Nations, but also the incoming ambassador to Germany, as well as the former director general of the foreign ministry. First, a word about terms. Ambassador is both a position, a title, and a level. And in the uh, career foreign service, Career ambassador is the highest uh, four-star general, sort of, even though in Israel you only have three stars for the chief of general staff. So you have been both an ambassador in effect. Um, You hold the title of ambassador, and you are uh, one of uh, a few, not too many uh, career foreign service officers get uh, this rank uh, even when they retire, aren't they? So first and foremost, uh, thank you, Amir. Thank you for having me. And I think the most important thing to uh, emphasize and that I'm very proud of, that someone who starts his career as a cadet, as a second secretary, basically the lowest form of animal life and diplomatic uh, titles, basically you can make your way up in a professional way up into the system. And I think it sends also a message to many who enter the foreign service, uh, really to reach uh, positions that uh, are positions of influence and importance for the state of Israel and Israel's national security institution. And I think that uh, from that vantage point, as someone who did all the way from bottom to top, uh, it's really uh, not just an exciting life, but a, an interesting vantage point on how you look at the world. And you were on a very fast track in 18 years from cadet to director general yeah. of the ministry, the professional head of the service. Uh, in, in American terms, it would be deputy secretary of state. That's true. But, I... but you actually started earlier as a foreign service brat, haven't you? That's true. My father, uh, who started in Mossad Laliyah Bet, basically, you know, at the beginning of the state of Israel, of bringing people, uh, refugees, over to Israel, entered the foreign service. And I, as a child, was with him for a couple of his stations. I think the most important for me was uh, in Africa. 
Uh, it was then Tanganyika in 1964. It became Tanzania after the unification with Zanzibar. So when I talk about Africa, it's with a lot of passion and love because I live to the beat of Africa. You I, lived in Dar es Salaam? We lived in Dar es Salaam. Uh, then the capital, they moved it now. Uh, uh, it's, it's a new capital in uh, Tanzania. And I really... But you were only in grade school from age six or so? Uh, yes, it was an international school, Oyster Bay International School. Not in Long Island, Oyster not, Bay. Not, not, not in Long Island. But uh, I, really, I really enjoyed this as a child. We are, you know, I have uh, a brother and a sister. And not everyone, you know, fits in that atmosphere, but I loved it. And, uh, but it was um, run under the British tradition. The British were still there. Absolutely. And in Kenya, there was the Mau Mau rebellion. Absolutely. And when you mentioned British schools, it means I was hit on the, with a ruler on my fingers when I misbehaved. Uh, Did you misbehave? Of course I misbehaved. What do you mean? <laughs> But the whole notion of uh, seeing Africa and, and feeling Africa, and by the way, seeing the amazing work that Israel did, and don't forget this was Israel's infancy, during Golda Meir, working, sending people from Kibbutzim and Moshevim to the remotest places Sort of a Peace Corps. Peace Corps, more than that. You know, basically sharing what we call tikkun olam in vegetables, water. And they worked with people in Africa at eye level in the fields. Wasn't like some European country condescending from top to bottom. And this was the people that we touched became our best ambassadors. But, but let me just yeah. jump for a moment, yeah. um, a decade or so yeah. later, when uh, the Arab countries pressed these very same African nations to cut relations with Israel, all of the good work uh, which you referred to didn't help. They did. This is so true, Amir. I think there was a feeling by people who went out to Africa from an ideology of the great betrayal. Here is Africa betraying the state of Israel during the, because of the oil in 1973. And it took years for people to really go back to Africa because of this betrayal. Uh, I think this was a genuine feeling, uh, but I think we're in a different place today. Uh, but uh, I can tell you, anyone that we touched or came to courses in Israel became an ambassador for the state of Israel. It can be Josephine from Kenya, who was an undersecretary at the UN. She learned medicine in Israel. It can be Courtney, the ambassador of Jamaica, who his father worked in the Volcanic Institute. He studied in Israel. And your own father was the ambassador to Jamaica. My father was the ambassador to Jamaica. He, the minute they, they, they had an interaction with us, it's a different story. And you can really see that all around but, the world. But, you know, uh, one runs across uh, several um, offspring of uh, foreign service officers. Some of them have left Israel altogether. Some of them uh, are not uh, really involved with what is happening in Israel. And some of you, um, at least three uh, sons of uh, former ambassadors, oh, yeah. uh, Benzul, Savir, Yourself and? 
Another we have, one? We have Danny Sheck. We have... No, no, it's a director's uh, general. Ah, uh, director's general, you're right. Uh, three. Oh, yeah. And yeah. others were, were ambassadors uh, too. So you got this germ, this bug um, yeah. from an early age? I think so. Although, uh, you know, it's the bug is not because you really know what's happening on the geopolitical side. That's, you're far away from that. You, everyone is focused in his own, you know, school, friends and others. But the interaction with people in schools, in international schools, that come from different places, really, I think, uh, you know, uh, part and parcel of what, you know, makes you interested in other places. You learn that Israel is not the center of the world, although we sometimes mistake and by mistake think that we are. And uh, I think it gives a curiosity to looking beyond, uh, I think, the state of Israel and its boundaries. But you have to be uh, ready for um, spending some two-thirds of your career abroad. And while you represent Israel, you are being uprooted from it. Isn't this a problem? It is a problem, and you see that, by the way, with... uh, with children of foreign office uh, officials, and it you need to really find the relevant balance in the house. Uh, it's not easy, uh, and here you know we have to. I at least have to give a lot of credit to uh, my wife, who managed really to to do that in quite an impressive way. And it's not easy because you move from place to place. You have to adapt. It's not easy. Each child gets into a different angle in school. And uh, I hope that uh, at least uh, from our side, uh, we did it well. But the credit goes to her, not to me. But now, in a digital age, it's much easier because you have all the Israeli television channels. And um, actually, you have or you're preparing, I say you because the foreign ministry uh, is part of you and... um, they have now a schooling system for children of Israeli uh, foreign service uh, officers, whereby you get the Israeli school, even if you're in uh, New York or Lusaka. Yes. Uh, look, today where you have Zoom and you have the technology, it's a different, if it's a different situation. I teach at the university. Now, some of the or at least more than half, Uh, in Zoom, you know, outside. So I think the technology now makes it easier, but still uh, it's what you ask basically is the importance of being and living in Israel. And I think this is something that uh, uh, you really have to work on to make sure that your roots, although you you move from place to place, still in uh, in this amazing place. In other countries, the foreign ministry is a leading organ where the uh, country, the government, uh, conducts its national security policy. Obviously, there is the military dimension, the intelligence dimension, but the diplomats are usually not only uh, at the forefront, but they are considered the top experts. You take, of course, the uh, Department of State, Uh, in the United States uh, by law, because it was the first one established. The Secretary of State uh, is the most senior cabinet member and fifth on the succession uh, uh, list. 
And in Israel, there are the big three, the IDF and within it, the intelligence directorate. You have Mossad and you have Shabak, the domestic intelligence agency. And the foreign ministry is not part of that core group. Why? I think that Israel, and we have to acknowledge that, is a special case. Uh, Israel, uh, it's not coincidental that its defense and military establishment are so strong are in the forefront. Because at the end of the day, Israel had to deal in its infancy from its establishment with its survival, with defending the state of Israel. And I think, and logically, a lot of resources and manpower went in that direction. But as I think we are becoming more mature, I think there's a understanding that the international domain is not less part of Israel's national security interests uh, than just the military side. It's slowly, it's gradual, I think it's logical, but when one tries to analyze it, I think that the, that, uh, the threats that come from the international, uh, uh, I think, arena, and it can be, you know, the International uh, Court of Justice or in, in The Hague, and sanctions and international organizations branding Israel as an apartheid state, so all this, I think, is shows that the battlefield has changed. If I had to brand it for you, uh, I think at the beginning, I think our adversaries in the Arab world tried to take us out militarily in different wars, and you, I don't have to repeat them, okay? Then that didn't work, so they tried the economic angle after 73, that didn't work. And today they're basically going after us in what I would call our soft spot, the soft belly, trying to put a wedge between Israel and the Jewish communities abroad to basically challenge us on the values that we all cherish, on what is important for us, both as Jews, as, as Israel, as democracy. And I think this battlefield today is maybe the largest, the largest challenge or the biggest challenge that Israel has. And, uh, and we have to allocate much more and put that in the forefront. You make a very convincing case, um, as uh, you are expected to, being uh, the professional diplomat that you are. Unfortunately, the government here doesn't seem to be influenced by it, maybe because everyone is attached to everyone else, and if the Ministry of Foreign Affairs gets a raise, the Ministry of Health or Interior would want one to. So you are not really up to par regarding wage and benefits uh, with the military and intelligence uh, professionals, even though you do have an intelligence division within the ministry. Is it going to change uh, anytime? I hope it's going to change. It's worth for our viewers to know that after the Granat Commission in 1973, they established what is called the uh, Research Center in the Foreign Ministry, which is an intelligence unit uh, that, uh, of course, doesn't have the same budgets uh, otherwise. But I think that uh, when you look at the Foreign Ministry, uh, in Israel and abroad, there's approximately a thousand people. This is a marginal thing of Israel's budget. 
And one makes a huge mistake uh, for many years for not really putting, you know, raising that. Uh, the amazing people that go into the foreign ministry after, you know, many exams. And I think we are losing good people because they just cannot, and it's not just words, they, as a family, they cannot really finish the month. Uh, and that's a big, uh, I think it's a big mistake. Here or when stationed abroad? Uh, so in the past, uh, your differentiation is right, but also today, most people today with salaries prefer to stay in Israel because they get a higher salary in Israel than what they get sometimes. Cost of living there. Yeah, cost of living. Now, you personally um, were first a military officer. So um, how did that come about? <laughs> This is funny. You know, that I, as a young lieutenant, I don't think I even, as a captain, as a lieutenant, uh, my salary was greater than my father after 30 years in the foreign ministry. But, uh, you know, this is, uh, uh, this is Israel. And we have, we have to change, I think, where, you know, really, uh, I headed Israel's foreign service, as you said, and it was really amazing to look that the whole budget for Israel's, you know, Hasbara or, you know, public... Uh, or propaganda. I don't say propaganda. Of course not. On, only your adversaries would yeah, call it propaganda. Yeah, okay, absolutely. Was less than the uh, marketing uh, budget of Milky, uh, which I always uh, laughed about because, you know... It's, it's uh, a milk product. Milk product in Israel, yeah. Um, now, you served in the artillery corps. Uh, did military life attract you? Yes, I really enjoyed. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, the military, uh, both from a leadership point of view, the interaction with people, and and leading. It was a combination of a professional artillery, uh, and I even uh, did a battalion commander's course, uh, which uh, instead of being a battalion commander. I was then sent to Germany as the second secretary. So uh, This was on your reserve duty? In, in my reserve duty, yes, as a battalion commander. So you, you uh, left uh, the army as a major and was later promoted? Uh? No, I left the army as a lieutenant, I think, and then was promoted up to major afterwards uh, uh, in Germany. So I left as a lieutenant, I think. And uh, during the Lebanon War in 1982, you were in the service? Yes. And you saw battle? I saw battle in Lebanon on the western uh, Lebanese uh, front, yes. Okay, so you entered the, the foreign service. Was the fact that you are second-generation second generation diplomat, uh, was that a help or a hindrance? Well, I think it was a help because I had a better understanding of what uh, happens. But you know how it is. Everyone checks you on its own, on your own merit. And they challenge you, I think, a bit more than others. But we, in my class, we had, I had uh, Eagle Palomo, whose father was also, so we were together. His father was in Norway during the Lillehammer affair. That's true. And one, one batch before us, Danny Sheck, Also from, so yes, I think uh, uh, it was. Uh, but, but sometimes old colleagues of your parents may have uh, carried some grudges 
uh, grudges or positive stuff. It depends, you know. Uh, but I, I, I think I, I was fine with that. I, so what uh, posts did you have in mind in going into the service? You had this African nostalgia, perhaps, but uh-huh. of course, uh, promotion and interest lie westward. So I'm going to mention now, as cadets, you move from different departments. And there was someone, uh, you know, God bless his soul, Hanan Ulami. Hanan Ulami was the head of the South American division. And he was a combination of someone. He was a kibbutznik, came from Uruguay. And he basically took me to the map on South Africa. Ronnie, now we will move from Brazil to Chile. And he put the love of South Africa and the curiosity. South, South America? South America. And I was thinking that my first posting is going to be in Venezuela. And then things changed. <laughs> so you, you went uh, to uh, uh, Germany? Yes. What happened was someone left Germany uh, before, before the proposed time, and they looked for a German speaker, and I spoke German. And this is the time to, to mention your family roots? Yeah. My father uh, was born in Berlin, uh, and uh, we didn't talk German at home because my mother uh, was born in Israel. Her parents came from Odessa. She was from a small village called Kfarhes. Uh, but uh, I studied at the university and I had, you know, the Germans. Uh, so I was taken as a cadet and taken. I was the first from my batch that left to Germany in 1988. In the summer of 1998, in 1988, and in November, 9th of November, 1989, the wall fell. And basically it was lights off, spot on. And, and, uh, and the anniversary of Kristallnacht. The 9th of November, 1938. Absolutely. By the way, this is the reason, Amir, that Germany does not celebrate its National Unity Day on the 9th of November, only on the 3rd of October, because of the historical 9th of November, 1938, the Reichskristallnacht. So you unified Germany. You, uh, you first had, had uh, some some uh, relations with East Germany, even before unification. Absolutely. And when the wall fell down, we were not allowed to pass uh, to East Germany. And I'll remind the spectators that to Berlin, you could only fly with American Airlines uh, or British Airways or Air France, because Berlin... To Tegel. uh, To Tegel. Berlin was in the center of... uh, I happened to cross... uh, uh, Charlie Checkpoint. Um, years. So from Hannover to Chucky, Charlie, Charlie Checkpoint. Yeah. Yes, Elliot. Checkpoint Charlie. And by the way, uh, Checkpoint Charlie, um, you are writing about all of this in your book, which up to now has been published in Hebrew, but yeah. is soon to be uh, translated. Yeah. This, is, this is the book, undiplomatically speaking, and I hope the translation is going to come in a couple of months. And when you wrote it, and even when you published it, you did not know that you no. are going back into the service. No. Would you have uh, written uh, or at least published uh, things differently had you known? No, I'm criticizing Europe a lot in the book, but Germany, before I even know, I, I basically say that in Europe, 
Germany's relations with Israel are unique. And if you look at it, and you know it very well, Amir, from you, the only country in Europe that basically has a defense military cooperation with uh, Israel is Germany. All the others... Uh, and during, uh, during the uh, Gulf crisis, uh, yeah. even before the war of 1991, um, Chancellor Kohl uh, signed the first uh, memorandum giving Israel uh, the uh, aid through the submarine deal. Absolutely. And if I'll remind you that uh, Hans-Dietrich Genscher, the legendary foreign minister uh, of Germany from the FDP, was here in, in Israel and basically gave us those uh, uh, armored vehicles, uh, you know, that... Uh, yes. So in the sense, yeah. But, but Genscher had some guilt feelings regarding his time as interior minister during the Munich massacre in 1972, when he couldn't uh, say, uh, do a lot because the federal government uh, was not uh, in charge in Bavaria. But nevertheless, uh, he was blamed at the time for not doing enough. These are always love that you know the details, and this is the reason, you know, Bavaria one of 16 federal states in Germany that each has complete independence as a prime minister, as a parliament, and a, and a budget that it controls. Yeah. So you were the uh, second secretary, but also the spokesperson for, for the embassy. And this was one of two posts, the other being London, where you later came back as the ambassador. You know, I didn't think about it, but this is, it's funny, it's true. It's, uh, uh, it's two different things, but, uh, but very true. So, uh, so what was the feeling uh, coming back as the boss, uh, having seen it uh, from the junior side? First, you know, London returning as uh, the ambassador of the court of St. James uh, was basically, I think, and I'm writing it in the book, you know, when you present your credentials to Queen Elizabeth II, uh, this is all amazing. Afterwards, it's hard work. But, you know, the protocol uh, of uh, uh, the United Kingdom is still the number one in protocol. And it's amazing to see how after all those years, the British public still, every time it's asked, basically raises its hands, you know, for uh, Queen and country country but but you know you came to to london as a fairly young diplomat and prince charles was waiting for his turn and yet, then you go back as ambassador and he's still <laughs> waiting um ambas- the queen the queen is waving her hand and saying to charles not this year charles not this year later <laughs> but, perhaps but it's going to happen very soon yeah well we'll see we'll okay. see uh, uh, who will outlive uh, who whom um ambassador ron prosor uh, this is only the first installment in our two-part uh, conversations for the time being thank you very much and we will soon meet for the second part Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.